take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 19 in verse 16 through 30. And this is the first week in our Supernatural series. We're uncovering and trying to discover how we talk about miracles. Do they happen? Have they happened? Is it possible for them to ever happen? But before we do that, I found something in the Rocky Mount Baptist Church archives. Now this is going to be good. Some of y'all have no idea where this is going. I have here in my hand a Franklin County Church League, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, 1987, fifth place. I didn't know they made trophies for fifth place, man. This is awesome. It must have been a Jesus League to where everybody wins, all right? But this is absolutely cool. We will return it. Don't worry. We will return it to its rightful place there on the altar. I mean the uh, place around the corner. But if any of you guys uh, would like to play softball with us, uh, this is the last day for our sign-ups. We're going to play. It's not in a church league. It's in uh, the Franklin County Parks and Rec League. Uh, we're trying to get everyone signed up today so that we can order uh, the shirts and whatnot. Guys are going to be tie-dye pink and... Uh, just kidding. We wouldn't have anybody play. Except for that one guy like, I ain't scared. We know, we know. You get man points, alright? So, but, uh, but we will have a sign up. It's right around the corner. It's on the table right back here, guys. If you're, uh, would like to do that, uh, the games will start in the first part of this next month. And Michael Thompson has graciously agreed to coach for that. And, uh, Michael's chosen this Saturday morning, guys, at Wade Park. Uh, on those, um, not not the soccer fields. Sometimes there's always going to be that guy. Where were y'all? Like it's base. Oh, right. So over on the, the softball fields, uh, we're going to try to practice at 10 a.m. And this is a great chance for those of you who are within the church and you know the Lord. Um, to if you have a lost friend who doesn't know Jesus, this is the way that my dad came to faith in Jesus Christ. Someone reached out to him through church league softball. And he came, he started coming to church, and he heard the gospel, and he got saved. And you say, now Jeff, I'm just a visitor today, I'm not a member of the church, do I have to be a member to play? Uh, no, you do not have to be uh, a member to play with us. We would love for you to be able to do that, and we have um, some slots still there. So, just wanted to give that, and um, once again, it's been hard. I hope that the Lord will help me to focus on this sermon, but fifth place, who, who gives trophies for fifth place? Just let it go, Jeff, just let it go. Let's go in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. And this is the first, as we mentioned a moment ago, in our Supernatural series. The title of our, our message today is The Possibility of Miracles uh, and Evidence and Bias. How does evidence and bias, how do those play together um, in the way that we understand the world? Now, for those of you who know your Bibles well, know that this is the story of the rich young man who comes to Jesus in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 19. And this man came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now that's tongue-in-cheek because we know that if you've ever tried to keep a legalistic sense of rules, you can't. Even more so, you couldn't actually follow the real Word of God. So Jesus is saying, Go ahead and be perfect 
and follow God's law, never sin, never mess up, be a perfect goody two-shoes in every way, and you'll go to heaven. No problem. Notice the guy says in verse 18, which ones, which ones shall I obey? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, students, honor your father and mother, and for middle schoolers, honor your father and mother, and for high schoolers, honor your father and mother. Y'all getting the picture? We don't have time this morning, but that is the only commandment given to if you follow what the Bible says, and your days will be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. Children, students, even if you're, I mean, if you're in way up and your parents are still with you, honor them. If they have made mistakes, honor them because God has given them to you as your parents. You're not honoring what they have done that's wrong, but you're honoring the fact that they are your parents. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great what, church? Great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Here's our key verse. Verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And you say, that's right. Those rich people, it is hard for them to get saved. Probably most every single one of us here today, especially if you have a vehicle, if you really have more than one set of clothes to wear, biblically defined, you are rich. We have our vacations, we have our 401ks, we have our hobbies, we have all of these things that grab at our heart. The Bible describes the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches as if you planted, uh, let's say, a bean sprout, and that bean sprout was coming up, but it was surrounded by thorns, and the thorns choke it and kill it. What Jesus is saying is that it's impossible for any American who would have more than one set of clothes to be saved. Welcome to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. You say, now, Jeff, are you saying that Jesus is saying that if you have money at all, it is impossible for you to get saved? Yes. And if it stopped there, all of us would be in a world of hurt. We would have no hope because if your heart is anything like mine, You know how quickly your thoughts go to, how is my bank account doing? Is my retirement bumped up with the stocks that right now are surging? And for those of you who have followed the stock market, that may make you happy now, but whenever it pumps, you know usually it's not too long before it dumps. But Jesus says... With man, it is impossible to seek God when you have riches, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. 
That means no matter a person's state, no matter their level of finances, no matter their background, through the power of God, He can save and change anybody who's willing to give it to Him. So Jesus says there's nothing impossible with God. But we live in a world that has been crafted by skepticism. Now, skeptics are those who never want to believe in anything at all. And in fact... We had this in, uh, if you received one of these, it should be in your bulletin. You can hand this out. It's got a graphic on the front, the description on the back of our series. Whether you realize it or not, you and I are children of the Enlightenment. Several hundred years ago, there was this revolution in thought and skepticism. And if you are a Western European or if you are a Canadian or American or a Westerner in general, whether you realize it or not, you've been raised... In a scientific world, not a scientific world, but a world that says everything can be explained by science. And I'm going to doubt anything that seems to go against that. There's a man named David Hume. He's a famous skeptic, probably the most famous skeptic to have ever lived. And he said that a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. In other words, a miracle is impossible. He also said that miracle accounts only arise in, quote, Ignorant and barbarous peoples. Which means that if you believe in miracles, you either live amongst an ignorant group of barbarians, or you are the one or two ignorant barbarians in the group of affluent, educated people. So we should have changed this sermon on how to be a barbarian. That sounds a little bit more rugged, doesn't it, guys? Now, some of us, we want to believe in miracles. We want to. But in the back of our mind, whenever something comes up that would be somewhat, people say, miraculous, we have this nagging doubt that the miraculous is in the same category as these unrealistic movies. You know, Bruce Willis, Die Hard, what is it, 15 now? It's like, you know, you've got got an F-14, F-16 jet shooting rockets at you, and you've got nuclear bombs going off, and he walks out with a cut over his eye, and you're like... Really? And then you're sitting next to that person like, wow, he's tough. You're like, yep, yep, that's exactly it. And some of us think about miracles the same way we would think of reports of the Easter Bunny. And since we have a mixed service this morning, that uh, unnamed person who delivers gifts in a certain time of the year. And we think that, y'all like how that was, huh? Just saved you parents, okay? We think that miracles or the occurrence of miracles today is either very, very, very difficult to believe or the occurrence of miracles may be somewhat mythical or we just say those people that believe in them are the people who believe what they read on forwards and email. No. Everything that you receive on forward on an email is not necessarily true. Can I get an amen from the church of God? Only recent discoveries in science and philosophy have opened, reopened the door to the miraculous. Now, next week we're going to look at a message on a miracle mania. How do you distinguish between the true and the false? The week after that is probably going to be one of the most fascinating sermons. I think that, not talking about, oh, this is a good sermon, good job, Jeff, but just as far as the content... We're going to look at modern miracles, accounts that are medically verified and so forth of miracles 
today. And then the fourth week, we're going to look at the miracle of the resurrection. Now this, I just want to give you this right out of the gate. If you are a thinker, this is going to be a message for you. If those of you who are more experience-based, if you like the stories, the next two weeks are going to be awesome for you. I'm just asking that all of us put on our thinking caps this morning. All right? Can we do that together? I'm telling y'all, 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 don't, y'all don't believe it, but there are some people who actually come to church and want to check out mentally. I know y'all wouldn't believe that. I know you've never heard anybody do that. Say, I want to just come to church and never be challenged. There's no sarcasm in that either. All right? So we're just going to put on our thinking caps, jump in deep, and ask this question. Were the biblical writers mistaken when they recorded instances of miracles? Or are the skeptics mistaken in saying that the Bible is mistaken? You see, if God exists, go with me on this, then we have to say there's the possibility that miracles exist. If God exists and He created everything that exists, why couldn't God temporarily suspend or interrupt natural laws in order to show who He is and to show His power? You see, if God exists, then that means that miracles are possible. And if God exists, and miracles are possible because He exists, then why do we pray so little? Why do we pray so weak? Norman Geisler says this, he's a Christian philosopher and theologian. What David Hume, the skeptic, seems to overlook is that wise people base their beliefs on facts and not simply on odds. The skeptics say that wise people choose probabilities, which means that you should never choose a miracle as an explanation. But here's what I want to ask to every single one of you, and this is the main idea in the outline that you were given when you came in. Here's our main idea. Claiming that miracles are impossible before examining the the evidence is evidence of bias. Biased people never find the truth. Truth seekers and truly open-minded people examine the evidence first and then make a judgment. What we mean by bias is someone that is predisposed to believe a certain thing. For example, and we will use this. um, Some of you were raised to cheer for a certain team, whatever that team may be. It doesn't matter if the other team plays a great game you will not cheer for the other team. Why? Because we have bias. Whether it be the UVA, uh, what, what, you know, whatever it may be within Virginia or professional sports. Let me give you a statement by Aristotle who was not even a Christian, but he got this close. He says, those who wish to succeed must ask the right questions. So we're going to try to ask the right questions this morning. Now, here's an important distinction that often Christians, we get this totally mixed up, and we're talking about miracles, and it doesn't make sense to people. Important distinction, there's a distinction between what is called providence and miracles. Providence is the foresight of God in preserving and governing all things by working in the natural world, by elements in the natural world, whereas a miracle is a temporary suspension or exception of natural laws for God's specific purpose of revealing Himself to the world and confirming His message. For example... um, the Dallas Cowboys winning a Super Bowl would be an example of God's providence. No, Jeff, that would be a miracle. It would be God's providence in helping Tony Romo not throw 
uh, 40 interceptions a game. Okay? Uh, another example of providence, and providence is when God provides things that we need. Back when we had the snow and ice, I, I normally, uh, throughout the week, come in on this side of the building. And on Saturday night, we had a youth event, and I walked out back. And almost probably a quarter of the, I mean, it was all back here in the drive and the ice. I mean, it was, it was horrible. There was a leak from the gutter. And it had, the neighbor kids were, 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 were running and sliding on their rear ends down like it was an ice skating rink. That's how much ice there was. And I thought, oh, no. It is Saturday night and church is in the morning and the ice is all over the back parts where we bring in anybody who is who's paraplegic. It was over to where our uh, handicap parking was. So I said, you know, it's it's late. I don't want to, you know, call anybody. So I, I just got a shovel. I was like, do work, son. So I just started busting up. And then I said, Lord, I can't get all this finished by myself. I need some help. And I, I just prayed. And then, uh, then, then Bryce showed up. He's like, you need some help? I got, man, we got another shovel. And then James showed up and he started doing it. And then John Gerani showed up. And John just punched the ground and all the ice just was vaporized. John's not here today, so I can say that. But it was so cool how God provided by just leading them to come and to help what was a bad, bad, bad situation. That's God's providence. That's not a miracle. A miracle would be uh, something like Jesus walking on water. Jesus raising people from the dead. Jesus being raised from the dead. Uh, supernatural healing of people with deadly disease that has no medical explanation. Uh, a miracle would be something like, and write this down, by the way, man, we packed out that outline for you guys. we got to go to a bigger bulletin. So we're like, no, please don't. He'll preach longer. We, we tried to get as much packed in there as we can, but here's a verse that we couldn't get in there. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. And this is where we're going to camp out most of our time today. That often God performs miracles to confirm His message and reveal Himself to the world. 2 Corinthians 12.12 says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Another verse, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So when we see miracles recorded in the Bible... It is almost always God confirming His Word that He's the one true God and to prove that to people who didn't believe. Now, a couple of other terms that we've got to define. Number one is naturalism. Naturalism, you can put in here as well atheism. It is a philosophical viewpoint according to which everything arises from natural properties and causes and supernatural or spiritual explanations are excluded or discounted. In other words, there is no God, there is no soul, there is no heaven, there is no hell. It means that really we're just molecular machines. Okay? Naturalism, no God, no miracles. Theism, on the other hand, is the belief in one God as creator of the universe. Okay? Intervening in it and sustaining a personal relation to His creatures. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So theism is saying that God is separate from His creation. Uh, like I told you guys, I met a guy a few weeks ago who told me that he was God and everything is God and, and I am God. I was like, bro, if I'm God, 
That may be an explanation why some of the world needs some fixing, right? I mean, let's just be serious here just this morning. And I don't know, maybe we have some people here to believe that you're, you're, you're God. Alright? Um, if you're God, then go ahead and fix, um, let's fix the Middle East, why won't we? Well, but we're all, ah, hold on. Hold on, little, little G God. Go ahead and fix, let, let's just, let's just bring it in. Let's just bring it in and be real. Fix your life. Let's keep out the Middle East. Let's not talk about cancer. Let's not talk about AIDS, all right? How about you fix your life and your family's life if you're God? And you and I both know that you can't on your own power because we have to rely upon the one God who is. So here's four questions that we're going to walk through in the rest of our time that people ask about miracles. Number one, are miracles possible? Well, it depends what kind of universe this is. If God does not exist, then miracles are impossible. Gravity is always gravity. Laws are always laws. There's never any intervention. But if God exists, then miracles are possible. No God, no miracles. If there is a God, miracles are possible. So here's here's the question. Does God exist? When somebody asks you, do you believe in miracles? You ask them, do you believe that God exists? If God does not exist, y'all tracking with me this morning? There is no possibility for God to ever work because He's not there to work. Santa Jeff, I need evidence to believe in God. Well, when somebody tries to push you and they say, psh, psh, you believe in God, what evidence do you have to believe in God? Do, do you have any evidence to support your belief? Switch that bad boy around. We've been learning this on Wednesday nights. When somebody pushes you and says, you've got to give me reasons to believe in God, say, hold on, time out, Hoss. Well, don't call him Hoss. That may not be the right thing to say, uh, especially if it's if it's a lady that you're talking to, guys, that not go over well at all. When someone asks you that, switch the question around and say, since when do I have the burden of proof? Why is it up to me to prove to you that God exists why shouldn't you have to prove that He doesn't exist, you see? Why is it that Christians automatically, right out of the gates, first base, why is it that we have to prove it? Why couldn't belief in God just be a normal, properly basic belief? You're born, you see the world, you see people, you see, you're able to talk to other people with minds, and you say, there had to be someone to produce this. Therefore, creation, creator. Design, designer. Why shouldn't that be a normal belief? Don't let anybody ever back you into a corner by saying you have to give evidence. Well, there's tons of it, but you don't have to. Second question. Does the scientific evidence favor naturalism or theism? Does the scientific evidence favor a universe to where God does not exist or a God or where one does exist? Now, this is in there, in your notes. Do you realize that the chance of life arising by chance, from the goo to the zoo to you, Darwinism, there is one chance in the tenth, ten to the forty thousandth power if you're talking in terms of mathematical probability, what we're saying is that the same probability that life could have arisen by chance, that is so far out there, it's literally in the same realm of probability. So go with me on this. Even if you believe in Darwinism, even if you believe in macroevolution, 
that's basically the same statistical probability as a miracle. So even if you try to disprove God by evolution, you're proving that it had to be miraculous for it to even start in the first place. He said, Jeff, do you believe in Darwinism? No, I think that there's a better explanation called intelligent design. C.S. Lewis said this, If we decide that nature is not the only thing there is, then we cannot say in advance whether she is safe for miracles or not. Let me give you another statement. This is by a philosopher here. He said, So a mindless nature could produce mind only by chance. But if mind is only a chance product of nature, how then can we trust our reasoning powers? How can we expect our minds to give us the truth about anything? Now let's just stop and think about this. If there is no God, then all of this is chaos and an accident brought us to where we are today. There is no design, which that means the universe is simply what we have now, the product of a freak accident of nature, which means that your mind, my brain, is also a freak accident of nature. If we trailed it back. So here's the thing. When people try to disprove God by saying, well, it's illogical that God could exist, they're saying that their mind that came about as a result of a freak accident actually works, quote-unquote, logically. You see the problem with that? Let me give you some scientific evidence here. This is a, it comes from a scientist, and he's speaking about DNA. He says there are 270 million hemoglobin protein molecules of just the right combination that reside in each, this is mind-blowing, even more than the national debt, all right, in each of the 30 trillion red blood cells in your body. Did this just happen by chance? Some people have enough faith to believe that it did. But where is the evidence that that system came into being by chance? There is none. Even Bill Gates, when he looked at DNA, he says DNA is like a software, a computer program, but far uh, more uh, detailed than we've ever created. You see, when you look out at the creation... You see evidence of a creator. When you look into the intricacies of DNA, you see evidence of a creator. And the, the, the skeptic says, now hold on, Jeff, wouldn't a miracle violate natural laws? Well, I'm glad that you asked, because what we know now from a scientific standpoint, there's something called quantum theory. And quantum theory says at the very base level of the universe, these little tiny things called quarks, they do what they do based upon probability, not certainty. You see, for several hundred years, we thought that science operated like a clock. And that's why a lot of people believe that God created the world, then He wound it up like a clock, set back, and He's watching it. But what we know now, at the very base level of the universe, it's not like that which opens the door for miracles through just a scientific standpoint. So are miracles possible? They are if God exists. Say, well, does the scientific evidence, Jeff, point to God's existence? It absolutely does. Question number three. Say, okay, Jeff, if a miracle actually happened, how would we be able to recognize it? Here's what we have in our notes. If an unexplainable event 
fits an unusual prediction, it opens the door to the possibility of a miracle. Think of this. Old Testament prophecy, right, about Jesus. Then Jesus' life and His statements, I am the one the Old Testament talked about. I am going to die, be buried, come back again. And then when we look at Jesus' resurrection, we find that that fits the mold. Gary Habermas said this. He said, miracles are not self-interpreting. A larger context is necessary for their interpretation. Let me put it to you like this. Imagine there was a guy who just came through Rocky Mount. Nobody knew, you know, who he was. And he came, and, you know, and he's, he's eating um, at one of our, our restaurants. And I'm like, okay, this guy, no problem. And then he's walking. And then as he walks down the street towards the library, he just keels over. Someone says, call 911. He's... He's graveyard dead. He's passed away. Well, nobody really knows where he's from, and someone donates so he can have a nice funeral, and his funeral is given very honorably by people from Rocky Mountain, not knowing who this guy is, no family, no nothing. And and they just do that. And, and then there's a report that they bury him. There's a report a couple days later um, about this guy walking around. Like, what? What does that mean? See, there's no, there's no context. Even if that was true, nobody would know what it means. I mean, does this mean that the sci-fi channel is the history channel? I mean, what, what does this mean? It's random. It's, it's kind of like a, a bad Ernest movie, right? Ernest goes to camp, freak out mode. I mean, nobody would know what it means. But here's where it gets interesting. When you have the life of Jesus, and write this text down. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is Peter's sermon. When you have a situation like this, it causes you to think about miracles. The Bible says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Here's the thing. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was people knew this guy had talked about rising from the dead. So here's the thing. If you're Jesus and your whole ministry, you're telling people, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be murdered, and then I'm going to come back from the dead, people are, most people are going to think you're what? Yeah. Sign you up for the loony band, brother. You are off your rocker. But then, when it actually happens, and He begins to appear to people, people begin to think, we have killed the Son of God. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. These guys have said, we didn't believe it. We thought it was a joke. We thought He was a fake. We thought He was a charlatan trying to deceive the people of Israel. But He was real! Because He called it beforehand... And it happened. There was a framework to understand those miracles. And you say if you're a skeptic, and by the way, man, if you're a skeptic here today, if you're not, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your first time back in church, man, we're so glad that you're here. Amen, church? Like, we love skeptics at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. We love atheists. We love agnostics. We love people because Jesus loves us. You see, just because you may not know the truth yet, We're not going to push you away. We want to do everything that we can to let you know that we want to bring it to you. All right? Because sometimes people are in church, you know, like, oh no, is somebody looking at me? Do I have my suit on? We don't care about that. We care about people being saved. 
You say, now Jeff, I, I am kind of a skeptic, and here's my thing. If I actually saw God perform a miracle, I'd believe in God. According to Jesus, no, you wouldn't. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verse 31. This is the parable of the rich man who died and went to hell. And it says, and he was asking that he would be, uh, or that Lazarus, a guy who followed God, would be raised from the dead to go tell the rich man's brothers about hell so they wouldn't come. And here's what his answer, what was told him. If they, speaking about us, any person that's living, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38 through 40. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them and said this. This is what Jesus said for miracle seekers. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, what Jesus is saying, I will give you the miracle of my resurrection. Guess what we have today? We have a record. We have all sorts of evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Guys, I'm telling y'all, there's sometimes all these books we have to read for our for program at Liberty and trying to study that PhD and, and get a, a degree in, in Christian, uh, it's like Christian philosophy, apologetics. We're reading all of these atheists, these skeptics, agnostics. And when I told you all this before, but it's like when I finish reading that stuff, it's the same stuff that Dawkins uses and all the atheists use today. I kind of put it down and I'm like, not in any cocky way, but I'm thinking, is that it? That, that's it. Well, where, where do you, where does your argument, where does your proof really begin? And guys, it's not there. It's a mirage. And what we've seen is an explosion of data to support what the Bible says is true. It is absolutely awesome. You see, Jeff, hold on. Are you saying that, that we should never ask for a miracle? You can ask for a miracle and God may give you one, but do you remember what happened with Pharaoh? Those ten plagues? Man, if, I thought about this yesterday. Is that I was letting this stuff soak. If I was Pharaoh, I'd be like, God, please, no more miracles. You know, frogs and the bugs and all these gnat, like the Bible said there's so many frogs and they all died, they piled them in heaps. Like if you had frog phobia, you would just be dead. Like you could, I mean, you know, frogs, frogs in the bed and frogs in the, in the drawers and frogs in the ovens and frogs in the bedpans and frogs in the, I mean, everywhere frogs. Supernatural signs, but do you know the one example in Scripture? I want you to track with me on this. The one example in Scripture that we have of probably the hardest heart in the Bible, the heart that resisted God the most was the heart of Pharaoh, and God gave Pharaoh an incredible amount of evidential miracles. You see, the reason why some of us resist God for so long, it's not because He doesn't give us proof that He's real, it's because we don't want to let go of control. Final question. How should knowing that we live in a theistic universe, one in which God exists, how should that affect how we live? Well, at minimum, go, go through this with me, it should cause us to what, church? To pray and live with confidence in that circumstances do not control us, but that our God controls circumstances. Amen? And here's the thing I want you all to grab a hold of. If God has provided for us through His providence 
Through somebody helping you make your bills. Through somebody being there for you when you needed them. For you saying, God, we're searching for a church home. We need some place to serve. And God has brought you here. If God's providence has been so powerful in your life, some of you were raised in a home where you praise God, your mom and dad taught you God's Word at a young age. When somebody begins a Bible verse, you can finish it. Not because you studied it yourself, but because your mom and dad cared for you so much to teach it to you. There's others of you who got saved later in life. And you are learning the grace of God because one of your friends reached out to you and brought Jesus to you. And today you're saved. Now I want you to think about this. If God's providence, if His taking care of us through people and through circumstances has brought us to where we are today, if we've yielded to Him, think about what His miracle can do. You see, Jeff, what's the greatest miracle ever? Jesus rising from the dead. And the greatest miracle He could offer every single one of us today is to make our hard heart new. The greatest miracle God could offer us today, Jesus said, but all things, right, can be possible. Nothing is impossible with God. If you're here today and this is the time that you need to give your life to God, you know there needs to be a change. You've sensed it. You know that you need to follow God. We're going to have a moment right now for you to be able to do that. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me?